0: And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who is born of Him practices righteousness. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And So we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I trust you can see that cleaning up metaphor in that last verse, verse number three. Everyone who thus has this hope of, of Christ's coming purifies himself as he is pure. There's the, the cleaning up that takes place. It's not just a one-time deal. It's a, a lifelong deal. But these these five verses are talking about the second coming of Christ, when he comes, when we need to take account and give account to him. Twice it's mentioned about his appearing. First is in verse 28, so that when he appears, the other occurs in um, chapter 3, verse 2, it kind of appears or twice, so... Here's three times. is not appeared what we will be, but here it is. When he appears, we shall be like him. And the call here of this, this text is to live a, rich, a righteous life so that you're ready for his coming when indeed he comes. Right? Look at verse 28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. In other words, Jesus is coming. And when he does, you're going to have one of two options. Either you're going to stand confidently or you will shrink from him in shame at his coming. And John is giving counsel so that you might be on the confident side, not on the shrinking from shame side. And to be on the confident side, it's simple there. What you need to do, you need to abide in him. It's my first point this morning, abide in him. I mean, last week we talked all about this word abiding we saw how many times it appeared in the last passage. And just talking about let, let the teaching abide in you, right? Abide in the teaching and abide in Christ. Let Him abide in you. Just this, this sharing and communion, both not only with the message, but also with Christ Himself. We should abide in Him. Like that's how verse um, 27 ends. Just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Right? Live with Him. Dwell with Him. Be close to Him. You might, you might call it fellowship with Him. We see that in chapter 1, verse 3, this whole idea of fellowship. That which we have heard, seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So that you may have fellowship with us, right? Fellowship just means sharing. That you may share with us. And indeed, our sharing, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we're talking about we're talking about abiding him we're talking about a life that's in tune with god that that shares with god that that what god has is yours what you have is god's and that you are are there together and one of the implications of that is a righteous life if you have fellowship with god it will work itself out in a righteous life verse 6 of chapter 1 if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth so in other words if i'm abiding with god if i say i'm abiding but I'm walking in darkness, I'm lying, I'm not practicing the truth. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sins. We have fellowship there with one another, His blood is going to cleanse us from sin. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about cleaning up. There are different aspects of this. One is just positionally in Christ cleaning up, seeing your sins wiped away. First John 1: nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. But what we're talking about primarily in, uh, in our text today is a, is a, is a cleaning up that, that just means walking purely, right? Walking in the light, walking a, a pure life, dealing with your sin, seeking to overcome your sin. That's the idea here of chapter three, verse three, purifying yourself. that is putting away the sin and putting on Christ, walking in, in his way. And it's those who have their sins forgiven who are empowered and able to walk in moral purity. That's why it's most important for us to abide in Him because our abiding in Him is what gives us the power to walk in in moral purity. In fact, look at chapter 2. He ought to live in our lives. We ought to live like He lives. Chapter 2, verse 2. The definition there at the end of chapter 2, verse 5 rather. uh, The second half of it. By this we know that we are in Him. There's another word for abiding. Being in Him. And this is how we know we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I'm saying I abide in him. Then what you need to do? You need to walk in the same way that he walked. Now he walked with perfect purity. Chapter 3, verse 5. In him there is no sin. That doesn't mean that we need to be perfect in our perfection, but our direction needs to be perfect like his walk in the same way in which he walked and either we live a godward life that enjoys the presence of god that abides in god or we live a life that's contrary to the ways of god that's far from god so you're either near god or you're far from god and each of those lives will have different outcomes when it comes to the coming of christ for those abiding in christ there's nothing to fear there's nothing to fear john says that we can have confidence verse 28 we can have confidence on that day now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence. You know, some people think of the judgment and they, they tremble in fear. And perhaps rightly so for some people. But for a believer who's abiding in Christ, who's got nothing to hide, knows that he's seeking to please the Lord, loving him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, then there's, there's no fear. In fact, even that's what chapter 4 verse 18 says. There's no fear in love But perfect love casts out fear. And this has to do with the the coming judgment. This has to do with the second coming. Chapter 4, verse 17. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We may have confidence for the day of judgment because we're rooted in God's love, which we're going to see in uh, verses 1 and 2 here, talking about love. That's why the songs have been about that, talking about uh, sonship. But as we're rooted in love and we're abiding in him, we ought to have confidence on that day. And in fact, if you're in, in fact, on that day, it's the day when Jesus says to us, "Well done, good and faithful servant. you've been faithful over a little. I will give you much. Enter into the joy of your master." For those abiding in Christ, the second coming, the appearing of Christ, ought to be something we long for. Paul calls it in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it's on that day that we get our full reward. And if you're abiding for God, you should long for that day. Remember at the very end of Revelation, like the last two or three verses, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And John echoes. He says, yes, amen, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And the only way you want Jesus to come is if you have confidence in your life on that day. In fact, think about again. The reason why First John was written. 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know that you have eternal life. And if you know that you have eternal life, then on that judgment day there's no, no cause for fear, no cause for worry because you know you have eternal life. And John is writing to give you assurance on that day that all will be well that you will have eternal life. But what also appears, if you don't have that confidence, if you don't know, then 1 John is also an alert, a warning to you because he says, if you're not sure, if you don't know the love of God, if you're not abiding, then another consequence may come and that is shame. That day may be a day of shame to you. Verse 28 again, and now little children abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. And there are some who will shrink from Him in shame in His coming. And that day will be a day of sorrow. That day will be a day of terror and dread when they realize that they have not been faithful to the Master's call. Consider the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 24, verse 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his Master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour that he does not know. And I will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place that be weeping and gnashing of teeth it's the end of those who don't abide in christ they will make great shame on that day and their shame will be eternal punishment and so i just say church family for your betterment for your confidence for your own peace of mind goodness of heart abide in him so that you may have confidence for the day of his appearing and you say well i i don't know if i'm abiding in him am i really abiding in him And it's difficult because it's it's um, Is one of those terms that is is fuzzy. It's hard to wrap around. But verse 29 kind of gives you an answer. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. If you know that he is righteous, is he righteous? Yes, in him there is no sin. Chapter 3 verse 5. If you know that he is righteous, yes, he is, then you know, you may be sure that everyone also who practices righteousness has been born of him. See, abiding in Christ will demonstrate itself in a righteous life. If you're not living a righteous life, God's not abiding in you. And it might just be that you got some, some cleaning up to do in your life. And today might be a good day for, for inventory. There might be some things in your life that maybe you're ashamed about. There, there might be some things in your life that, that you need to abandon. Maybe a good thing is to take the The shame test. I know in preaching this, this will get the attention of the kids. This is the shame test, right? Cubs fans are good for knowing using this thing right here. Though they're doing better. Maybe this is Bears fans, I don't know. But they're ashamed to to even show their face at Wrigley Field or Soldier Field. They're like, ah, the Packers are going to beat us again. But there might be some things that you do That you say, I don't want anyone to know that I'm doing this, so I'm just going to put on my brown paper bag of shame and no one will know. In fact, if Jesus comes back, He won't even recognize me. Oh, He'll say, who is that? And you'll say, I don't know. And then you'll walk away and then you'll ditch your bag. Are there things in your life that will bring shame if Christ comes? You can take the the brown paper bag of shame test. I encourage you to to get that right. Do some cleaning up so that you'd be confident that whenever He comes back, I'm ready for Him because I'm longing for Him. Cast the things away that need to be be put away. And And I encourage you, as you clean up, clean up in the right way. Don't merely think that you just change your behavior on the outside. You're fine. Note carefully the grammar of verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So in, in other words. If you see someone practicing righteousness. You can say. Yep. They're what? Below that. They're born of him. See it's the, the people who are born of him. Who are the ones who are practicing righteousness. In other words. Righteous behavior is an expression of the heart. Righteous behavior is an expression of, of the heart. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. And right here is where you, you see their fruits. And the one who's been born of Him produces the fruit of righteousness. And if you're not practicing righteousness, the fundamental problem is not your external behavior. Deeper than that. Your, your, your fundamental problem is one of the heart. Because behavior demonstrates the heart. It demonstrates the reality of whether you are of God or whether you're not of God. Whether God is a part of your life or not. And so when I encourage you to clean up don't just say, <clears throat> okay, I just need to deal with those external things. Now deal with the internal things of the heart. And just maybe ask yourself, am I born of God? Am I born of Him? That's the reality of what Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. Right? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, it's the reality of God working in your life that will change your behavior. Your behavior doesn't change your heart. Your heart expresses itself in a change of, of behavior. If indeed you're changed, if you are a child of God, you'll walk in those ways. Now, and also, if you're a child of God, and we're going to lead to my second point here, you will, you will marvel at God's love towards you. You will marvel at that. That's my second point. We, we've seen here, abiding in Him. Second point, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold His love. Done a good job of that, singing your songs, thinking about Christ and what He did on the cross. It's all love. But behold His love, verse 1. See what kind of love. Some translations have, behold what kind of love. It is to say, let's look at the love that God has for us. Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. You know, this is a sort of verse, it's calling you to be stirred in your heart. Think about the love of God and be stirred in your heart. Like, like what sort of love is this? Because it's a love that, that is different than, than we, we think about. We need to stop or we need to reflect upon it. You know, we often experience God's love. His kindness, His grace, His goodness, His gentleness, His faithfulness. But John's calling us here to think about His love. To think about what we often experience. Give it our attention and give it wonder and awe. That's the idea of this. What sort of love? Just, just what an amazing thing this is. we got to do that. Early in our service we sang Stuart Townend's great song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How vast beyond all measure. Let's just, just consider it. Think about how deep it is. Think about how vast it is. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's great love. Romans 5.8, he loved us when we were sinners. Romans 5.10, he loved us when we were his enemies. That's the sort of love that God has for us. He doesn't have the love that says, oh, look at how good these people are. Let's love them in return. Now, First John 4.19, right? We love because He first loved us. He loved us, therefore we loved him. We love Him. And He loved us when we weren't so lovely. And we love Him because He is lovely. That's the sort of thing that John is calling us to, to fathom here. or that, that great hymn, The Love of God. How broad it is. Would we with ink the ocean fill and skies of parchment made? Where every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the whole contain the scroll, though stretched from sky to sky. I mean, that we're talking about the unfathomable love of God that we can't understand. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians 3. This is the kind of love that he wants us to, to think about, that God would take a sinner and claim him as, as a child. Can you can you think about that? He calls you his child. God Almighty, different in being than us. I mean, divine, we then become his child. I mean even the fact that he calls us a child of him is amazing. When I mean, we know that Jesus is his son and we are his children. That's what's verse three. Verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God. And, and, And God looks at us and considers us His children. And this is so wonderful, if you really think about it. It was like Nicodemus' response when Jesus said, You must be born again. Nicodemus was blown away. He said, How can that be? How can God claim us as His children? We're totally different. Though we are in His image, there's a connection there. But He's divine and we're human. He is spirit, we're flesh. We are sinners and He is holy and yet He claims us at His own. This is Adoption Sunday, so we, Orphan Sunday I guess. We promoted that video. It's just a, a reminder again of the goodness of adoption. You just ought to be about that. And scriptures speak about how we as children of God are adopted into God as sons, fully into his world as sons. We are heirs then because, right? Because sons are heirs and we are heirs. We are fellow heirs with Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says that. As Christ inherits the universe, so there's an inheritance that God has for us. Now, how, how that works, I don't know. J.I. Packer calls adoption the highest privilege of the gospel. That is the, the most precious thing of the gospel. It's not, it's not that maybe the greatest thing, but it's the most precious thing that we would go from, from, from sinners condemned to hell to children to receive the inheritance that God has planned for us. And that's amazing So you think about that. And so on a human realm, you think about how much a parent values a child. Parents, you know how much you value your children, they're worth more to you than anything else in this life. I mean, you can lose a house and home to fire. You can lose a car to being totaled in an accident by your teenage driver. You can lose money to your investments. Your bank account can go dry. Your business can go belly up. And you'll survive those things. But to lose a child is very hard. None of those material things compare to our children, because your joy is wrapped up in their joy, and your joy is wrapped up in their success in many ways. When things go well with them, your heart flutters with joy. I just think about my children, and um, it's a joy of mine to see, and I'm going to brag on my children. You can brag on your children. If you were a preacher, you'd stand up here and you'd just use different children. as an illustration. I'm just, just showing how my heart for my children is great. It was, it was great to watch Hannah, 16-year-old, thrive in volleyball. It's a sophomore, she was captain of the varsity team. It just doesn't happen. Just God's blessing her. She um, found out on on uh, Friday, I think, that she was an all-conference honorable mention player. I think I, I, I tried to look it up online. Something's not not there yet, but I think that's what the coach said by saying she's honorable mention. She played more than anybody else on the team as a sophomore. As a dad, right, it gives me great joy to see my child thrive because there's a connection and I, I so have an interest in my children. Or Stephanie, many of you know that this weekend, right, she's in Mary Poppins, she's playing Jane Banks. And that's like a huge honor. I mean, the, the play, if some of you have seen the spotlight plays, it's like 80 kids in the cast maybe, something like that. And she's like, there's Mary Poppins, there's Bert, and then there's Jane and Michael, Like right at the top, these are the most prominent roles. She's on stage like more than anybody else because the whole play starts about Jane and Michael and their parents and it's just, you know, they're bratty kids, which comes naturally for Stephanie, by the way. She's really, really bratty and and nasty and and what happens is they need help and and Mary Poppins comes in and Mary Poppins works everything, solves the problem and by the end, the family is happy and harmonious and, and Jane is very happy which by the way also comes very naturally to stephanie as well so it's like a perfect part for her but but she's playing this part she has some solos and um you know she she's got a prominent part of stage. she her part is more prominent than mary poppins but more t- stage time and so it's a so dad they had the final rehearsals this past weekend and yvonne was was videoing some of these things and she showed them to me and And my heart was so happy, she's doing so well, I kind of was starting to choke up a little bit, like just thinking about what's going to happen this weekend. Why why am I happy? Because my happiness and joy is caught up in my children's. And again, I'm not bringing these things to, to brag about my children. Say, Look at how great the pastor's kids are. Because one thing I've appreciated about you all over the years, you've not held my kids to a higher standard. My kids are your kids, just like your kids, all right? There's nothing special about my kids but these are ways in which things are going well for them. And, and I know that, that for all of you, if, if you had different kids up here, you, you know, if Dirk was a preacher, he'd be talking about you know, um, Becca in her photography and how she's getting some jobs with her photography and, and Nathan about the fencing and how well, and you and, and Ruthie about um, her fencing and her swimming, which kind of like, oh, uh, which, which, which one is, is better? And, and, and that would be there if we had the Iversons up here, right? Talking about Ethan and his um, basketball exploits playing for the fire we talk about drew and his, his artistic abilities and and austin i'm not sure what your abilities are but i know that tim does and you'd be you'd be talking about about those things or or maybe you talk talking about art or academics or writing ability all your kids have unique abilities and giftiness and you as parents ought to delight in their strengths and you ought to rejoice in that why because a father rejoices and a parent rejoices in um, the good of the child and I just want to show you a little bit my affection for my children. And as I say this, though, as much joy as it, sees my, as, as it is to me to see my children succeed in life, I have greater joy when they walk in truth in their life. Third John 4, I've talked about this often. Parents, you think about this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And you'll have no greater anguish when you know that your children are not walking in the truth. But when your children are walking in the, in the, the truth, uh, Steffi, if she was only a townsperson for all her... time, But if she was walking the truth, my heart would be glad. Because that's what 3 John 4 says, and that's so true. And so I think about my oldest, too. Uh, Chris is at college, and um, sent her to a year of Bible college, and she said, enough of this Bible college stuff, Dad. I want to get out in the world where I want to test myself. I, I want to be where it's hard. I want to be there where people are, are blaspheming God, where they need Christ to be a light of the gospel of Christ. And so she went to Illinois State and surrounded herself with Christian friends, a, a, a Christian protection, if you will, in the world of college, which is hard, secular college. And she found, has found these deep, faithful friends on campus, involved deeply in her campus ministry, Campus Crusade. And she's fully serving faithfully to church. And when I when I think about that, my heart jumps for joy. I'm like, you know what? I don't. Whatever she does, amen to that. Or Sr. I, I see him off in college, and I see him with a renewed vigor about church that he hasn't had before. And you know, Avon and I were just talking about this on the way. It's not just any church. I mean, this is this is church where John MacArthur is a pastor. Uh, Avon sometimes can still considers him her pastor. And um, just a great place. It's a great place. People that are just hungry for God's word and we didn't tell SR, SR, you got to go there. Nobody's going there and he's growing. He's excited about the college group. He's excited about his, his campus group. He's talking about uh, the impact some, some faithful Christian men are in his life kind of with the church. And when I hear those things, I'm thrilled because he can be a starving artist which will... Maybe be the reality. Um, And C's get degrees. And that may be a reality as well. But if he walks in the truth, that's where my delight is. And that's where my, my joy is. If he's walking with God, I have no greater joy. Because of Father, my heart is wrapped up in the joy of my children. I didn't want to leave David out. Right? But he's just, he's just a little guy hasn't hasn't progressed yet, but he's, he's starting to play some basketball a little bit, and there's just kind of some, some more going. We're starting to play some baseball, and he's good at Legos, and I'm just going to fan all those flames that I can and um, give me ten years or give me five years, and he'll blossom some way, and I can rejoice in that. But a, a father's, again, I, I share these things just, just to know that a father's delight is in the spiritual well-being of their children. And I just want to show my heart and my affection towards towards my children, and I'm rejoicing that next Sunday they all will be here. Um, S.R. is flying in from California to see the show that Steffi is, and and uh, Chris is driving up, and Hannah is going to be here. In fact, Hannah's not even here today, um, and we were talking about again on, on the way to church. Like you know what, our, our family is kind of discombobulated right now. SR is in California, but you know he's he's attending a great church. He's excited about it. Chris is in. Uh, Bloomington Normal, attending a church. She's excited about this Sunday. And Hannah is attending Grace Church of DuPage with her cousins. Another great church is a grandparent of the church that started this church. And so they're like, they're all around. But but we just know that they're going to be hearing good teaching. They're going to be around good people. They're going to be encouraged. They're going to be edified and just continue to go. What more can we want as parents? There's nothing more that we could want as parents than to see that. But here's the application My sort of affection for my children is the sort of affection that you ought to have for your children is the sort of affection that God has for us, but even in another degree. Raised even more. Because God loves with a perfect love. And there's this bond of affection that God has for us. As He looks down upon us, there's joy in His heart when we walk in the truth. And when we stumble... And fall. There's grace and compassion and kindness toward us as well, because nobody is blind to their children's faults as the parents of those children. Everybody can see the faults of, of children, but parents can't. But they, oftentimes can't because they're so into it for the good. And God is like that many times, that He is so for us that His grace compounds to us, and our our sin has been dealt with at, cross, at the cross. And so, can you believe it? The Almighty God, the, the powerful, the one that created the universe of the Word, has tender heart and compassion for us, like we have towards our own children. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That there's the comparison of God showing, of we, fathers, parents, showing compassion to children, so God shows compassion to his children. And God's love for us is greater than any love that a father has for his his children. Again, Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Just talking about the, the greatness of God's love for us. I remember I preached a sermon one time. Um, it was a short sermon because before... I preached, maybe it was after I preached. Um, I, I forget, I, I showed this video by the, the Creation Museum down in Kentucky that, that just showed kind of how, how big the universe was. Some of you here, this is a decade ago, I think I, I showed that. And just, it's amazing how... How, when, when you put things to scale, how small the earth is, how far away the moon is, and then how far away Mars is, how far away the, the sun is, and how far then the closest star is, and then to realize that those stars are just a bit of the biggest galaxy, and then to realize those galaxies are one of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe, how far, how far the galaxies are, and all this. And then you, you, you come down to earth and you say, As far high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love towards us it's amazing Psalm 103 again the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love we sang from him number 719 children of the heavenly father this expresses well the heart of God for his children children of the heavenly father safely in his bosom gather we are children we will be safe in God Nestling bird, nor star in heaven, such a refuge air was given, right? There's, there's no bird, there's no star that has the refuge like we have in God the Father because we are His children. God, His own, doth tend and nourish. In His holy courts they flourish. God is there tenderly and compassionately caring for us. And in His courts, in the people of God is where they flourish. From all evil things He spares them in His mighty arms. He bears them. Right? God causes all things to work together for the good. That means he, he keeps the evil from us. Now there are bad things that happen, but God causes those things to work together for good. Neither life nor death shall ever from the Lord His children sever. So whether it's life or it's death, right to be absent of the body, is present with the Lord, to live as Christ and to die as gain, we will be with Him. Unto them His grace He showeth, and their sorrows all He knoweth. First Peter 5, 7, Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. He knows what you ask even before you ask. He knows what you need before you even ask of Him because He shares your sorrows. He shares your burdens. He cries with you. He weeps with those who weeps and He rejoices with those who rejoice. Though He giveth or He taketh, God His children never forsaketh. Though He took from Job, though He gave to Job, He never forsook Job. And though we go through trials and, and hardships, it is for the testing of their faith that produces steadfast endurance in our lives. But God never abandons us in those times. He abandoned Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in just some un, uh, unbelievable way? But He forsook Him in order to deal with our sin. But He doesn't forsake us. He is there, right? Hebrews 13. Right? He never forsakes us. He is the loving Purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. That's what we're talking about today. Cleaning up. His purpose is to to create in us the image of His Son. That's His love for us. That cares for us. That is tender for us. In Jesus. Who we are. Caring for us through His Son. It's interesting. In our day and age, many think that God just... Extends his mercy, his grace, and kindness to everyone. And there is common grace, certainly. But not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone knows this sort of of grace and love that God has and extends toward us. Look down in chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, we'll look at that next week. I think we'll get through chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. We'll look at what that means. And these verses say the same thing over and over and over again. But here it says this. This is evident. Who are the children of God? Who are the children of the devil? There are two categories of people in this world. There are children of God, and there are children of the devil. And... It's not like John came up with these categories said, oh, this might be a good category. This is a category that Jesus placed on people. To religious Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. See, Jesus said, I'm of God and you're of the devil. Kind of split it right down the the, the middle between these Pharisees who, by the way, were so righteous on the outside when they, they heard this message about cleaning up, they're like, what do we need to clean up? We're keeping all the commandments of the law. But see, it's their heart that was bad. God says, you're, Jesus said, you're of the devil. And from the very beginning of mankind, there's always been strife between these two. The children of God, the children of the devil. There's always been this this war. In fact, even in the garden of the serpent, God said, I, God, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, in some sense, it's talking about Christ as the ultimate offspring, but that is true that right on down the line, the offspring of women and the offspring of, uh, which is the righteous line, the offspring of Satan have been at each other. And you simply need to watch and see the conflict that Jesus had to see this, this conflict between the children of God and the children of, of the devil. John fifteen eighteen and 19. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before I hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Because I've set my love upon you. The world hates that. The world hates it because they don't really, really know what's going on. In fact, that's what John had in mind here. I think the second half of verse 1, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. See, the children of the world, the children of the God, of, of God they're, they're just different. They, they, they dwell in different realms. And the children of the world can't understand the children of God. Maybe, maybe you've had this before where someone who's not a Christian looks at your life and like, what? why are you doing that again? I remember um, we had a foreign exchange student at home one Thanksgiving weekend, and he just kept coming back. He said, now, now why do you homeschool again? Why do you do this? Now, I've had people tell me before, now, why are you a pastor of a church? Why are you doing that? I mean, just people question, and maybe things in your life are like, why are you doing that? What's up with that? They don't understand and they don't know because they don't know Him. And the children of the world won't ever understand. They didn't understand Jesus. John 1, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came into His own and His people did not receive Him. He came into the world that He Himself made and they didn't know Him because He was a child of God, but they are of the world. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The children of God knew. And these are the ones who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the reality is this, the children of God will see Jesus and will come to believe in Jesus. John brings us back here to verse 2. Right. Beloved, we are god 's children now. This is the second time he said this. Look at verse one, see what kind of love the father's given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are listen, we are god 's children, beloved verse two we are god 's children now, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. we are god 's children now i mean that's that 's just the affirmation here it 's because of the father 's love upon us that we are his children but but there's something further, you've got to catch this, that, that awaits us. I believe this. Maybe you might say it this way. When Jesus returns, if this is even possible, but we will be children of God in a greater way. Or There's, there's something better. I mean, as it's, it's, it's good as God's love is from, from the highest of the heavens above, so great is His love towards us, towards those who fear Him. There's something even better awaiting us. And that's when no longer are we sinful children to whom the Father extends His grace. But when He redeems us and we are fully conformed to the image of Christ His Son and we have resurrection bodies which don't sin anymore and we're in the presence of the Father, that's better. Verse 2 again, we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. In some sense, we're going to be like Jesus. In a way that we aren't like Jesus right now. Because that's the emphasis. We're God's children now, yes. But... There's something that we're going to be, but it's not yet appeared. But when He does appear, we're going to be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. There's something about beholding the glory of Christ that will transform us into His likeness. Now, I don't know how this works, whether it's causal or whether it's the result. In other words, does, does um, the act of seeing Him, is does that exert... Some kind of strong influence upon my life that causes me to fully conform into the image of His Son so that I am changed? I don't know. Is it it causal or is it a result? Meaning that if I see Him, I must be like Him because that's the only way I could see Him as He is. Is it the result of our change in being? I I don't know. Those are mysteries for eternity. But I just know this, that, that somehow seeing Christ in eternity will... Will mean that we're changed, whether it's cause of change or meaning that we are changed. But we will be something different than we are now, something even better. And I think it's, in some regards, a, a son fully realized in God's presence. In some regards, some measure, this takes place today. As we behold the person of Christ, 2 Corinthians three eighteen. As we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's talking about progressive sanctification as we see Jesus. We just call it one level of glory, one degree of glory to another is how Paul describes it. It's talking about sanctification. It's talking about walking closer and closer with God. Have you ever seen a senior saint who has walked with Christ for years and years and years and there's something about them that just just they have a depth with God that you've never experienced but did you want to experience? I think that's the, the issue of what Paul's talking about Second Corinthians three fifteen. It's the the process of, of sanctification, being conformed into His image. Right? We, we just go deeper and deeper with God. I love what C.S. Lewis talked about. Heaven was further up, further in, and we experience a taste of that today, but we'll fully taste that in heaven. It's what I'm calling cleaning up. It's a process of of sanctification. We'll see Him face to face. We're going to be different. We shall be like Him. Chapter three, verse two says. In Colossians 3, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We'll be with Christ when He appears. We will be in glory with Christ. And in that day, sin will be gone. There will be perfect fellowship with God. We'll have a deeper knowledge of God. 1 Corinthians thirteen, twelve. This is a love chapter. For now we see in a mirror dimly. We're thinking about Jesus. Thinking about heaven, thinking about future things, thinking about celestial things. We just see it dimly. But then, that's when the perfect comes, we will see Him face to face, now in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So this is partial knowledge, but it will be full knowledge when we see Him, and we totally like Him. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones called this the whole object of Christianity, to bring us to the vision of God, the object of Christianity, to bring us to the vision of God, to be with God forever. And listen, all this happens because of God's love for us. I mean, there's nothing in us that merits anything to say, oh yeah, just because we are and because of who we are, yeah, we should be children of God. No, no, it's like like the orphan video that we looked at, right? Some orphan and some impoverished country abandoned by your parents whether they they died or whatever left to the streets and then daddy warbucks comes and and takes you and brings you in educates you in the ways of god and you're totally different that wasn't because of your own goodness that was because of the choice of another to come and gather you it's love do you see his love my second point behold his love my third point we'll go quickly here i've been long abide in him in the process of cleaning up, right? Abide in Him because that helps you clean up. Behold His love and this will help you clean up because hope in Him is ultimately what, what helps here. Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. If you have a hope someday of being pure, like everything I'm talking about in Christ, transformed being in His presence then that will have implications for today. And and the implication I have for today is you'll seek a righteous life or you'll seek to be cleaning up your life. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And if you know and are anticipating seeing God, you will purify yourself here. That's exactly what it says. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. You know, if you're going to see the President of the United States, you're going to put on a suit. You're just going to dress rightly. You're not going to go in t t-shirt and cut off shorts. I don't care how much you disagree with the President. You'll be respectful. You should. Or anything else that you, you prepare for. Whether some event in the future. You're going to prepare. If you're going to take a vacation, you're going to prepare your bags. And that, that consists of preparing your clothes or preparing your... Your accessories or whatever, bring your electronics. You're gonna go on a trip, you're gonna prepare. If there's some event you're gonna go to, maybe some basketball game or some football game or some theater production, you're gonna watch Mary Poppins, whatever, you're gonna, you're gonna do some preparations. You're gonna print out your tickets, right? You're gonna make sure that everything's there. If you're gonna be outside the Winter Months of Football Game, you're gonna put a coat on, you're gonna prepare. If you have a test to take, you're going to prepare, you're going to study, you're going to read the material, you're going to go over you're going to read again and again, you're going to try to put it in your mind, you're going to prepare for a test. If you're bringing a newborn home, you're going to prepare. You're going to prepare the room, you're going to prepare the nursery, you're ready, ready to go, and you're going to... Everything in life that we do, we're going to prepare for. But the ultimate thing that we prepare for is heaven. We have this hope. And just as you prepare clothes for your journey... And just as you prepare by studying for a test, so likewise, when you prepare for heaven, you prepare by purifying yourself here, by cleaning up, if you will. So my question to you this morning, the point of application is, are you you clean? Do you know the blood of Jesus has wiped you? Wiped you clean? Are you walking His way? Are you abiding in Him? Do you know His love? Do you have this purifying hope? Because all those are characteristic of a follower of Christ who is like that. So let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your love for us, totally undeserved, totally unmerited on our behalf. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? God, really, this passage is smothered in love, as we'll see. It's your love for us, not so much our love for you. It's your love for us that changes us and has transformed us, and you invite us to abide with you God, so help us to abide in a deeper and greater way. God, you, you call us to a pure life. God, and really seeking a pure life is really a, an outworking of whether we are anticipating our ultimately pure life. So God, help us in these things. Oh God, we, we need your strength. We need your grace. Oh God, be kind to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.